Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting Orban Foundation at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, resolution, and togetherness on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Please consider donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. As a thank you, you'll receive a free copy of the book Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Receive your free copy by donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. Welcome to part two. Thanks for coming back. A normal person would have these reactions to a circumstance as crude as war. That's true. But here's here's a wrinkle. War, by any number of definitions, is insanity. And so where we might trip ourselves up is by thinking that we should apply some notion of normalcy to something that's insane. And it's simply not possible to do that. There are different flight paths. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members make the transition from the military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including such things as nightmares, rage, and isolation. Veterans and family members in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Thank you for choosing to make this journey with us. Here is today's segment. She listened endlessly. That, as I look back on it, probably more than absolutely anything else is what kept me going was having that connection with her. Interesting. And, and were, were you able to share these things that you were hiding from her? You know, the more the, the more intimate experiences of war, were, were you able to share that with her, or, or was she still engaging the facade that you were putting on? No, I was able to share with her, which probably is what led to the relationship that we had, because she's a very straightforward individual, and I think would have spotted me trying to hide anything. I wasn't able to <laughs> share everything simply because I wasn't capable of sharing that with anybody. But as time went on and slowly things came out, I was able to share virtually everything, but not right off the bat. Let me me ask a question in this way, and I hope this is respectful. Did you ever have a sense, again, in retrospect, thinking that you didn't know who you were anymore when you came home? Because these these unexpected feelings, the unexpected rage, things that you didn't anticipate coming from the, the, the rage and all of these things that you didn't know why you were having these and what to do about them. And why would, why would you, how do we get to a point that we don't understand that we have to get answers for these and try to resolve these as opposed to, as you said, stuffing them back inside and keep keeping them? What is, what is that one act of keeping them inside rather than resolving them? that I think is so important to do, to resolve these issues rather than let them go on unresolved for, for, for decades. I agree. I just simply did not know of anything that was made available to veterans that would help them get in touch with that stuff. 
And so it was literally hit and miss. In fact, I never even thought about going to the VA or maybe seeing a health care provider or, or, or a cleric. or I mean, I just, I thought, I've got to deal with this stuff myself. Now, my girlfriend and then wife was one place, one person with whom I could share these. There was another friend that I had from high school that I reconnected with, and he became a, a marvelous sounding board. And that helped a great deal. But no, I did not know of, nor did I connect with any resources that would have helped me through this stuff. And yes, I did. While it wasn't it wasn't the kind of experience where I felt like I was looking down on myself as some kind of outsider, I did have difficulty wondering sometimes, who is that guy that gets so angry at a used car salesman, etc., or is willing to tell off an employer or argue with a philosophy professor that he basically doesn't know anything. The guy's got a doctorate, for God's sake. (laughs) Because I know better. Because after all, I shot at people. I just, uh, wow. Let let, let me add this to to the question. Is there something about us when we're 18, 19, 20 years old, we're Marines, we're sailors, we're soldiers, that we have to keep up the facade that we as soldiers, as men, as patriots, as warriors— uh, cannot have a weakness in us. We can't have this happen to us. That somehow we have to avoid anybody ever knowing that we were nothing but the ideal soldiers who took our responsibilities as men and achieved them without flaw. Well, I, th- I th- there probably is that part of us. I think more specifically to that end, what it was with me was I needed to be able to justify in my own mind, that the time that I spent in Vietnam was worthwhile and was for a worthy cause, and it wasn't because of the future hopes of an oil company drilling offshore. It wasn't all of this kind of thing. That the reason why I was there was still connected to something honorable, and it was only slowly over time that you know that element of betrayal got deeper and deeper. I'll tell you a funny thing. Probably four years ago, I I went to a local department store to buy a golf shirt. I found this golf, nice looking golf shirt. So I looked at the label to see what it's made out of. Cotton, right? Made in Vietnam. That's what it's made in Vietnam. And do you know? I'm surprised I didn't get arrested. I stood in that department store for 25 minutes debating whether I was going to buy that shirt because it was made in Vietnam. Because it was made in Vietnam. Now at 69 years old. I know it's like that ad with the guy with the one insurance company. I know a thing or two because I know a thing oh, or two. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know how political systems work and I and I know how market economies work. Now Vietnam is a communist country, somewhat like China, that has a market economy. So was all that fighting we did in Vietnam that led to this market economy beneficial for the people that live there? Because now there's hotels in Da Nang and not minefields. This is a lot to think about when you're buying a gosh darn shirt, let me tell you that. <laughs> so I bought the shirt. And uh, <laughs> anyway. Did you buy the shirt and wear it or yeah. buy the shirt and bury it? I, I, know, I bought it and, and I wore it 
I think these are these are a lot of the issues that some of us have, you know, going in and building, rebuilding infrastructures and all of these things, building road systems. That's not the purpose of what we went there for. But it seems like a part of the sell it to the public idea of what wars are all about, you know, that we're building schools and all these sorts of things. But again, going back to this whole concept, and I hope I'm not nitpicking on this. You, you didn't know that you were numbing yourself at war, but now when you get home, that numbing doesn't go away. No. So where is that numbing now? And you say the jobs, you would go to jobs and you wouldn't right. hold on to them. Were, were, was this numbing preventing you or have any issues with you enjoying life when you came home, enjoying sporting events, mm-hmm. enjoying relationships with Joan, as you might have expected them to be, or sporting events or whatever it was that you were enjoying before? What happened to this numbing? Where, where did well, that go? The numbing went on and continued for, well, it continued until almost 1990. And the the negative effects of that numbing, let me put it this way. I learned that one of the greatest challenges of parenthood, uh, I have three children, one of the greatest challenges of parenthood is, is being there. <laughs> being there when the kids need you. And by that, I mean, they want to interact with, depending on what their age is, they want to play a game, they want to, you want to go to the park, you want to, they need help with a project, et cetera, whatever the case may be. One of the things that the stuffing of these emotions would cause is something would happen and it would take me back to something about Vietnam that made me angry and I would begin devoting some mental energy to whatever that was and why it made me, et cetera. It's, so this be, almost took on a little bit of a life of its own. So the energy, energy is, to me, is a finite thing. You only get so much. So the energy that I'm spending on this thing about Vietnam that is still pissing me off is now energy that is preventing me from being there with any or all of my kids or wife on a vacation or whatever. And so not being there and not having the connection begins to have an impact on me and, and the family. And, but it's, a, it's like grabbing smoke, you know. You, you think, hmm. how serious can that be? Not Well, you, see, you try to grab it there, and then, and then it's over there, and you just can't get a handle on it. But it really is, it's corrosive. And so the, the aspect of being there on a full-time basis was affected by my energy going forth to try to stuff these feelings that were causing pain pain is really kind of the operative word here. And the pain from these unreconciled feelings began to get so bad that I began to use alcohol to kill the pain because this was a fast actor. This was a lot quicker than just trying to mentally kill the pain. So, well, now you know where this story is going. You introduce an external substance, in this case alcohol, to do the job of the pain-killing and, of course, it's not killing the pain. It's just simply making it worse. And killing the memories. Right. And now you are literally becoming a different person who's not there because you're, whatever, in my case, planning or thinking about how can I get this stuff to try to kill the pain, et cetera, et cetera. So let, let me stop you for just yeah. a second, Bob, just to go back. When you say you were not there for your your family, are we talking physically or emotionally? Well, I or think both? emotionally. Emotionally. Yeah, I mean, I was there. I went to work every day. I had a job. I, uh, you know, brought home a, a paycheck and, and, and we had vacations and all this kind of thing. But, uh, you know, there were times when I just simply was not fully 
connected the way I could have. But now this happens in any, I understand this. I'm not being too hard on myself. It happens in any marriage, in any life. There's periods when a job is stressful or home life is stressful. And so you have to spend energy on this, that, or the other. But the, the pain associated with Vietnam and the experiences I had there, it was a different kind of pain from what I think you would have had in everyday life. Because, unfortunately, I think combat veterans are different from people that have not had combat experience. And one of the things that can happen is you can begin to have difficulty coping with uh, the reality of it all, and that's what was happening with me. So would it be fair to say that the emotional intimacy with with your children or with, and with your wife was just not there? You couldn't let them, that, that you were still dealing with the facade. They could see this person that you wanted them to see, but they couldn't see. I think that's possible, yes, yeah. or actually quite likely at certain times. It wasn't all the time, but it was some of the time. And, the, and that, too, is part of the problem, is the element of unpredictability. So when is this going to come up? When is this Bob, who's having a difficult time making a connection with us because he's having a struggle with something that happened years ago, when's that guy going to show up and then get the hell lost so we can get back to being a family? I mean, unpredictability is probably, it's sometimes referred to as crazy-making because the people that you're associated, or, I mean, associate, the people that you're, you care about, your family, they, they tend to go, oh, what's the matter with me? Must be something wrong with me. Dad doesn't want to make this, or husband doesn't want to make the connection. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing wrong with them. But this is part of the insidiousness of it all. So, uh, fortunately, and, and this is the good news to the story, is that I did make my way into recovery from alcohol and have since, through counseling and, and a lot of work, found a way to continue to have healthy connections and, and a healthy family and a healthy marriage, etc. And the most remarkable thing that a combat veteran would relate to is I can feel the pain. I can take the pain. I can take life on life's terms. When the pain comes up, I can take the pain. I can accept the pain as part of life and I can move forward. So you have a higher threshold for, for, for pain than you would have imagined yourself to have. Well, I have the ability to feel it. That's certainly true. And, and as such, the ability to live in the present tense instead of falling back into the past tense where guilt and shame and a bunch of other stuff, rage, is waiting for me to just run me through. That doesn't happen. Yeah, I'd like to go back to this. What again with your family, with your wife, not being able to share things, and, and we have spoken about this before. This experience at war is a very intimate experience. Right. It's very, very deep in us. I mean, this is beyond whether you got a deer and deer hunting or whether the Packers won. Or I mean, this is so much more deep. I'm not sure. Well, let me change that around and say, do you think you ever expected it to be that intimate, that profoundly effective on you, that it would deny you or at least become this numbing, become this barrier to you being, you must have had expectations of being a father that prevented you from being that, that ex- the expectation of being a husband that prevented you from being there. And so now you go into the alcohol, but how long did, with the alcohol, what were the effects of alcohol that added to the distress? that you were already experiencing? Well, it accelerated things. I I didn't use alcohol that way for a very long period of time, but it didn't really need to happen for a long period of time for it to have a pretty serious effect. I did not, to answer that first question directly, no, I didn't expect that (laughs) this is 
anything like you would have to deal with when you return from that particular experience. So that was that was new and really threw me off my mark. But over time, fortunately, and a lot of help, I found a way to do it. And, and did that help came through? Well, it came through the counseling that I had with regard to alcohol. And then in subsequent years to that, it came through the Vet Center, which is an adjunct to the VA designed to help combat veterans talk about their multitude of feelings related to their experiences. And that really began to, on the multiple occasions that I used the counseling services available there, that really began to help me out and get in touch with letting go of things that for years had uh, been um, kind of always there, but hiding in the background. Unresolved. So if we go back earlier in the conversation, Bob, you mentioned this thing of a bunch of noodles in a bowl, yeah. all these different mm-hmm. expectations. And now that you've come through to the, the resolution of a lot of the issues that you had, or at least taking control of them, where they're not controlling you, and, and you resolved the issues of the alcohol, looking back on these issues that came from war, are they insurmountable? I mean, or, or when you look back at them, aren't they just normal reactions to what you were experiencing? Or mm-hmm. now, if you look at them, where uh, how would you have gone to war and not had had some of these reactions? You, you would almost have had to have been either a psychopath or or had uh, mental issues going to war and not come home with these intimate, uh, dark. Uh, I don't want to say dark, but experiences that we couldn't resolve that you know take us into drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and denial and isolation. But do these these things that were numbing, looking back, they kept us alive when we are at war. All of these these hypervigilance and everything kept us alive at war, but they came home with us. But don't they seem like, and I'm being redundant, but don't they seem like normal reactions when you look back on them now? Well, I suppose, that, yes, it, it would. Let me think about this for one second. It, 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 uh, a normal person would have these reactions to a circumstance as crude as war. That's true. But here's here's a wrinkle. War, by any number of definitions, is insanity. And so where we might trip ourselves up is by thinking that we should apply some notion of normalcy to something that's insane. And it's simply not possible to do that. There are different flight paths. One's going east and west, and one is going north and south, and they are never going to run parallel. <laughs> so you're never going to be able to deal with insanity with normal thinking, or vice versa. So it's kind of a mess. Now, the good news is, is that thanks to the intervention of these professional people, uh, counselors, etc., I was able to get back to, yes, what I would consider a normal way of looking at life and living life and dealing with emotions and what have you. So that's been a huge benefit. What I'd like to do now, and just go through some things briefly, because there's so many different reactions. Right. When you talked about the, the spaghetti effect or this bowl of spaghetti, all different reactions and emotions and that sort of thing. I just want to run through a list of common responses to trauma and, and, and just say, yes, I have. I mean, we don't need to stop them because there's just too many. But I think this would help the listeners, especially family members, 
identify what they're seeing in their veteran and help the veteran see mm-hmm. that these are not something unique to them. So let me just run through a couple of these sure. and just say, yeah, I had that, or at least to some degree. Uh, we talk about shock and disbelief at the experience of war. Did you have any sense yes. of that? Mm-hmm. Fear and or anxiety. I think you, you mentioned you had the fear at war. I did, and anxiety that continued. I refused to take my family camping for 15 years after I came home to Vietnam, and because I was absolutely convinced that there were Viet Cong at like Point Beach State Park. <laughs> and so if we were going to go camping, oh, God damn it. Now i got to go out on a patrol. So we finally did go camping. Yeah, yeah. We finally did go camping. And I thought, this is the greatest thing in the world. Um, and there's no reason to have brought a rifle because I have nothing to worry about. <laughs> so, yeah, fear and anxiety. About grief, disorientation, and denial. Grief still was a long time just one of the emotions that probably lasted the longest with me uh, and still does, although it doesn't overwhelm me the way it used to, was grief. Grief yep. over the men that I knew that died and the guilt over the fact that I didn't. And the denial, any denial there? Not really any denial. No. Okay. How about hypervigilance and, and uh, hyper alertness? Let's go camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Irritability, restlessness, outbursts of anger and rage. And, and this gets into that unpredictability that I was talking about where the family goes, hey, what's with dad? Yeah. Or what's with Bob? I mean, things were rolling along here real smooth and all of a sudden, there he is. He's, he's pissed yeah. off about something. Well, that goes to the next one. Emotional swings like crying and then laughing. Yeah. Well, not necessarily... That's, crying and laughing, but certainly swings of emotion from depression almost to, you know, a kind of a happy, it's very peculiar. Yeah. Worrying or ruminating, you know, intrusive thoughts about the war or about the trauma. Yes. Things I could have done and didn't. That was a fairly common one. And of course, you learn over time that you did what you could at the time you could do it. So, How about nightmares, flashbacks? Yeah, those happen, and they happen in peculiar <laughs> ways. Now, I used, to, I used to think that flashbacks, when they spoke flashbacks, that they were referring to actual battle scenes and things like that, but in nightmares the same way. But actually, it's just having unsettled sleep that oftentimes fills this particular description. And I have, I have some remarkably troubling dreams sometimes. Still, still do, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are they are they nightmares though? I mean, that wake you up and they and, they are. They can be. They yeah, can be. Yep. Oftentimes, it it has something to do with me being chased, and it's just a mess. Okay. How about minimizing the experience? Yeah, I did that for a long time, and that was part of the problem until finally I could face the experience realistically and say this wasn't a small thing. This was a big thing. It, it was huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Attempts to avoid anything associated with the trauma, I guess. Yeah, camping would certainly be yeah. there. But how about places to go? Would, would you go to a full stadium? Are you one of Fourth of July fireworks? That was the one that took me a long time to go back to was fireworks. Yeah. And I still, uh, gee, I hope I don't offend anyone here, but I I, let me put it this way. I could live without the firing of cannons after home runs at a baseball game. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a feeling I'm not the only combat member. Yeah. <laughs> right. And there would be a whole list of those, <laughs> yeah. those, those type of things that we could. How about loss of intimacy and, and interest in sex? Was that ever an issue for you? No, not really. I don't think it's a tough one to call because the loss of intimacy could happen at those times that there were the emotional swings. I mean, nothing will, will really disrupt intimacy than 
the feeling that a spouse might have of not being able to get next to you right. and not knowing why. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, the, from that standpoint, certainly yeah. there is an So the, the emotional intimacy right. as opposed to right. making a distinction between sex and the physical right. intimacy, sure. Do you ever have any issues with concerning others or burdening them with, with your experiences or the, the, the reactions you were having? Well, to this degree, that, and it's a common phrase from World War II era veterans. You've heard it yourself, I'm sure. It's the ones that don't see it do all the talking. You heard that phrase? Yeah. <laughs> so this evidently was some kind of code for if you were experiencing one problem or another that just shut up and suck up and take it and... If you were a real man, you wouldn't worry about it or, or whatever. So, yeah, that's a pretty messy one right there. Well, that really leads us into the next one, tendency to isolate oneself and feelings of detachment. Yeah, yeah. and just kind of uh, difficulty getting close to someone and what have you. Mm-hmm. And going back to this emotional emotional numbing or restricted range of feelings, that continued for a long time with you after you came home. I think so. You know, one of the things that I did when I went over – was I took a risk. I mean, this is obviously you took a risk by entering the service at at the high point of the Vietnam War. And the opposite of the feeling of detachment, of course, is a sense of connection. And so when you make a connection in almost any human interaction, at least partly and sometimes a large part, is you take a risk. And I was not anxious to take that kind of risk to make a connection with someone or something after having taken a risk of going over there and seeing how that ended up, if that makes sense. Let me ask you if alcohol had any issue or, or, or effect on some of these things. Were you more friendly and outgoing and, and undetached if you were drinking? And, uh, no, no. I, was, I tried to hide my drinking to the best of my ability. I was a solitary drinker. I drank in bars where I don't know that was even safe to be drinking in because I didn't think I'd ever be recognized. I didn't, I didn't drink... I drank to kill pain, mm. so I didn't go have a highball and think, isn't this a fun cocktail party? <laughs> I drank as much as I could as fast as I could to kill the pain, and then I drank to keep the pain away. So it really was a very ugly kind of circumstance. Let me ask you a question. I'll just d- d- distract from these questions just quickly. The experience of alcohol, did you ever have the sense that it was your good friend until it became a crushing enemy? Well, I saw it as a... I don't know if I saw it as a friend, but I saw it as something that I could count on. I knew how it would act, but I also knew that it was extremely dangerous. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to what a good analogy would be there. But did it ever turn on you where all of oh, a yeah. sudden yeah, where, yeah. where this got to be too much? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nice. And that was scary. Yeah. So you had the, the emotional numbing and the restricted range of feelings. Do you ever have difficulty trusting or, or feeling betrayed? Well, I had the uh, rather mammoth feelings of betrayal and and difficulty trusting. This kind of goes along with taking risks or healthy risks. And that continued on for a long period of time. Yeah, I remember when, when we were children, we always had to have this respect your elders mm-hmm. without question. And it, it, when after I came home, I always remember thinking to myself, what a bunch of load, what a load that is. I'll respect you if you're respectable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so that was one of the lessons that I picked up. Difficulty concentrating or remembering. Did you ever have issues? I had difficulty concentrating. It's one of the things that worked against me and in college early on is I just simply had a hard time focusing on the lessons at hand and ultimately left college with 42 degrees, excuse me, 42 credits short of graduation. I was 
pretty much a C student. And it was, uh, so I left in 1974, and I returned to UWM in 2004 and completed the remaining credits by 2008, and I was a straight-A student. I, I did the homework. I did the reading. I participated in class. I was able to concentrate because I could live in the present tense. It was as uplifting an experience. I was around younger people and heard many great ideas. To this day, it's one of the one of the achievements I'm, I'm the most proud of. I think we should stop and applaud you for that. <laughs> that, that, is really, that is really, really wonderful. But I, but I think, especially for younger veterans and, and family members of veterans, that's a very important point to make because one of the, one of the things that kept us, a lot of us going in the military, or certainly one of the benefits, was the GI Bill and the mm-hmm. GI Bill for education. Right. So if you expect when you come home and get out of the military and you're going on to college, and then you get to college and you can't concentrate, you can't remember, you can't focus, you can't participate, you feel like you're in a foreign culture. That's a hugely disappointing it is. part of coming home and being a veteran is not being able to successfully complete college. Mm-hmm. And, and it's embarrassing in front yeah. of your family, in front of your friends, yep. and, and you have no idea why. No. So uh, that, that difficulty concentrating or remembering is really, really important. But but again, at this point, we're, we're, you're, you're not – looking for any way to resolve these issues, you're still, the drinking is is, is the preferred method of, of coping with this. Well, no, I mean, the drinking had stopped by the time oh, by, I went back to college. and by So the drinking ended in, 90, in 89. And so from 89 onward, so that's 30 years. So let's see, from 70 to 89, we have a 20-year period there, basically. And now for the last 30 years, the, the really, life has been the flip side of all of that negative stuff. Right. But I'm referring to the first, your first attempt at college. That, oh, yeah. That, that right, was right. still yeah, in, yeah. in the middle of a struggle. That's right. Unpleasant and past memories resurfacing. Well, they, they, they do come up, but now I feel unlike before as if I'm equipped to deal with them and they don't knock me off the block. They don't send me down any number of kind of blind alleys like they used to. I can cope with them uh, and recognize them for what they are, whatever that uh, experience might be, et cetera, and then deal with it. Okay. We've only got like four more here, Bob, but these are really important. Feelings of self-blame and survival guilt. Well, that was a a very powerful one, the element particularly of of survivor guilt. stayed with me for a long, long period of time, all of those 20 years, and might have been the one that went the deepest of of many of these negative feelings. What was the guilt? Well, Survivor guilt, guilt. that I, I lived uh-huh. and others died. Yeah. So that would lead us into the next one, shame. Yeah. What, what, what is, does shame have any part in this for you? Well, yes, I, it's kind of hard to separate one from the other, shame and survivor guilt. The way I heard it described once is guilt happens when we break an existing rule. You steal something, you get caught, you're guilty. Well, you shouldn't have stolen it. Shame happens when... We've done something that we don't feel good about, even though we didn't necessarily break a rule. Well, you know, in the war experience, when your comrades die and you don't, it's not because you broke a rule. It's because of luck and circumstance, a bunch of other things that are beyond your control. So I often thought maybe what they should have called this was survival, survivor shame, because it really, shame is, I mentioned, used the word corrosive earlier. Shame is just acid. It's just, it, it's going to find every nook and cranny inside your body. It's going to work away, eating away at 
the good positive things that a person could have and needs to have, it's going to make their life absolutely miserable. Right. So, so now we take that shame, that corrosive uh, acid part mm-hmm. of the shame and, and all these other emotions, we put them up against the patriotism, the honor. That's a huge conflict right there. Yeah. But do you think there's a little bit of shame in what the human race does to each other? Oh, I do. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it, it, and it's not just America, but it just in general, right. that sense of shame of almost rage at what the human beings mm-hmm. do to each other and the technology designed to do it. And, and keeping in mind, I, I think we would agree that you and I are both big bad of the military. We understand uh, national defense right, and all that right. sort of thing. And I'll leave it at that. How about suicidal thoughts? No, fortunately, I, I did not have those. Okay. Loss of a sense of order or fairness in the world, expectations or doom and fear of the future. Well, yeah, and, and this took on some rather comic proportions for a time. I was fearful that we were all going to be hit by uh, meteorites and dies. <laughs> I mean, could it happen? Yeah, sort of, but will it? Probably not. So there's that. Fortunately, those kind of thoughts have greatly subsided, and it makes for a much more peaceful existence. Two more. One of them is revenge. Any sense of revenge in you for people you served with, people on opposing sides, people when you came home? Any, any, and and I, I think this refers to revenge that is more along the line of what you wanted to do to the car salesman, yeah, yeah. you know? No, fortunately, I, I don't. I don't have any feelings of revenge. In fact, it's that's really been turned inward. Introspectively, I have a a hope that certain elected officials, certain people that are in positions of power, would just have some enlightening as to what their actions are doing to humanity. That there's there's much in life that is larger than a single individual, yet. Certain single individuals have a remarkable amount of power over many, many others. And in those instances where the single individual has the power over many, many others and they're not using that for the betterment of that group of people, I find that just horribly discouraging and and painful. So I can only, but I I don't have any desire to extract uh, or exact revenge on them, nor do I on the on the soldiers that fought for the North Vietnamese Army or the Viet Cong. Or, mm-hmm. It's just those those feelings are gone. Uh, just out of curiosity, the, the the political view you have of these people who it's so easy to send other people to war, right. would you put them in the category of your friend who said, so how did you like war? Well, <laughs> they are out of touch. They are out of touch with the actuality yeah, of it, the real experience yeah, right, of it, sure, right. the horrors of it. Yes. This will be the last one for, for the question that these were posed on common response to the fear. I think this is a big one for a lot because I think sometimes at war some people lose God, other people find God. Anger toward religion or belief system or, or loss of your beliefs, did, did that ever well, happen? I had a Catholic upbringing, grade school and high school, and uh, no longer practice Catholicism. However, I have a very deep sense of, of spirituality. I don't, for instance, see myself as being the most important thing in the universe. In fact, I think I'm pretty much just a speck. <laughs> I think I play a role in an important one. I think that, you know, without sounding like Yoko Ono here, I think the most important <laughs> thing in life is to, is to be kind to other people. And to do that at street level, day by day, I think that I don't know if there's a heaven or a hell. I do think my desire and choice is to try to live as good a life as I can. 
for the sake of the human race. So, yeah. so would terms, if I were to mention terms like love and forgiveness and uh, judgment, mm-hmm. uh, does love come into, and I'm not talking about, oh, I love that music or, I, you know, mm-hmm. I love this person, but love in general, is that a powerful emotion? Oh, for, I think so. Yeah. 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 Is that kind of an antidote to the whole experience of war or, or at least some of the it healing? Can be. I found nature to be particularly powerful and somewhere to make a, a wonderful connection with something larger than myself. And somewhere where I'd see, a, although nature can be a violent place, left to its own devices, as we see with wildfires and, and uh, hurricanes and floods, it can be a, a place of, of utter calmness and uh, serenity. So, so when you say that this nature is bigger than yourself, could we extend that and say it's something bigger than the human race? There's something much larger. Oh, I think so. You know, yeah. the concept yeah. of life is much more right. inclusive yes. in the earth than just human beings. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. I yeah. think so. Yep. Is, is that healing for you, too? Yep. You may- it is. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. This has been a, a really, really exceptional interview, and I really appreciate it. Do you want to take a minute and maybe maybe just add if there's something else that just you want to add to the conversation because you are qualified to be in the in the, in the conversation? <laughs> if there's something you, you'd like to add, and then the other thing with the alcohol, and I think a lot of a lot of us have experienced the drug issue too. Was there any element of trying to bury the problems or, or destroy the problems that were inside with alcohol? Oh yeah, I. I did. I wanted to, uh, if not numb them, absolutely annihilate them, and, and neither worked. They, I mean, they didn't. The they numbed them only from the standpoint that yes, I didn't feel them for a while, but they came back as soon as the anesthesia wore off, and they were worse than before. And I never was able to obliterate them, nor would I ever be able to. So the, I think one of the really Vital things to mention here, and I, I learned this and, and many others have learned this through a lot of trouble and difficulty, is it is so vital to reach out to someone. If you have had a combat experience or have had an experience in the military that has caused you trauma, for instance, if you are a female and you've been raped, whatever, whatever the case may be, if there is some negative feeling in there from whatever the instigating factor might be, the sooner you can seek out a connection with a a counselor or a therapist or someone or a group of people that are of like mind, the, the healthier your life is going to turn. We as warriors were risk takers to the highest degree. We risked our lives and we survived. And now in recovery, we face the possibility of making yet another risk. And that is to reach out and make a connection with people we likely don't know to talk about things we'd rather not just because those that have gone before us say, this is going to help you get better. And I think to the degree that anyone, any individual can do that, they will find the healing coming back at them with just a fabulous velocity. Would would you say that it would be more attractive for you to go and ask for help if you were to put it more in terms of, I'd like to find out the answers for why I'm having this feeling, or I'd like to find out the answers for why I'm having this reaction, and how do I get that answer? I need that answer so I can resolve this so that it's not sitting there and tormenting me or causing my life anguish. And then if you could just make, make a quick reference to the loss of years 
in the struggle to avoid getting help when it when it's inevitable that you will have to do that. I mean, there's there's so much time in life lost oh, that is precious. Yeah. And of course, the question then becomes: What could you have done with that time and energy that is simply not there and will never be there again? Yes, to whatever degree, if as you suggested, finding the answer to something is in fact the lock, the key that unlocks that mystery and leads you down the path, then that's the thing to search for and to seek out in whatever form you can try to find it. Right. And, and could, could we also go on to say that there are so many stigmas about getting help, but at this point, you've been through war, you've been through the military, you don't owe anybody anything except primarily to yourself first to get the answers, to, to resolve the issues that you have. That should be a number primary, a, a primary goal, and there should be no stigma about that. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to have a stigma because these are really reasonable responses to the experience you've had. And I think what what can make it difficult, and this is where we a lot of us should be careful, especially, as you say, with the military sexual trauma, these still happened in the culture of the military where our expectations were patriotism, honor, glory, all of these wonderful things of being an American warrior. So they can make asking for help much more difficult. But don't, if we think of it more of just getting the answers to resolve the issues that we have, I, I think that's a, a much better start than worrying about this as stigmatizing mm-hmm. to your experience. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. There should be no stigma whatsoever. And, you know, it, this starts with a, with a simple but profoundly difficult for some step to take. It does. And, and once that step's taken, there's good stuff waiting. Bob, you're qualified to be in a conversation. <laughs> Last word for you. That was it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. And and I I do hope you'll come back and visit us again because it's very, very valuable information. But but thank you very much for for participating. We're glad to be here. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. Our program is produced by Blueberry Pro Productions. On behalf of Michael Orban, this is Bob Bach. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.